1334, and we listed this. Love one another. Galatians 5.13, serve one another in love. Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Again, in Romans 12.10, honor one another above yourselves. And in Romans 12.16, live in harmony with one another. Romans 15.7, accept one another, just as Christ accepted you. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another. Colossians 3.13, bear with each other. Colossians 3.16, teach and admonish one another. 1 Peter 4.9, offer hospitality to one another. Hebrews 3. Uh, 13, what we read this morning, morning, encourage one another daily so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, build each other up. And Ephesians 5.19, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's a lot of one another. You know, Jesus died so we would have a family that could rely on one another. I just read about this church building uh, a few years back. It was constructed in... California, $160 million. Uh, do we have the building fund up there? I don't know if that uh, fits our budget, but it was a, a cutting edge. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm going to have to go back to the drawing board on some of my ideas then. <laughs> this church, it was designed to be uh, cutting-edge building and designed by leading architects. Uh, it had this huge, awesome uh, auditorium in it, different than one that had ever been built. And their goal was to offer a space where people feel more able to isolate themselves from daily life. And they had a special um, theological term for it. But essentially, the goal was they wanted to create not a room full of pews, but cubicles where everyone could be alone with God in the church. And you can have a church building like that. You can't have a church like that, though. That's not what we're here to do. We aren't here to be alone with God. There's a time for that. That's not why we're here. That's not why we're together. There is a purpose for Christians coming together. Unless a church has people determined to be involved with each other, we don't have a church, we just have a building. Unless a church is determined to love each other and encourage one another and accept each other and be devoted to each other, we don't have a church. All we have is a facade. It's like you know, movie sets, right, where they have the old western towns. Uh, and you might see something great on screen and you want to go and see it uh, in real life, but there's nothing there beyond the front. There's no building where the, the sheriff's office may be. It's just a facade. And a church that says, you know what, I just want to be alone with God and I want a church that will accept that. It's not a church, it's a facade. There's nothing to it. You know, a church is supposed to be the group where we serve one another. You know, likewise, congregation that doesn't work at having fellowship, that doesn't practice this one anothering, is a facade. It might be attractive on the outside to some, but it's empty inside. Ephesians 4.29, it says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. And we ought to be kind to each other. We ought to build each other up. We ought to spur each other on towards love and good deeds. And we shouldn't go around saying negative and hurtful things about other Christians. We need to say words that lift each other 
up. You know, when we, we kids are in the building uh, and they're screaming at the top of their lungs, what do we tell them? What else do we tell them? Slow down. What else do we tell them? What? Be respectful. We'll get there if we keep guessing. You're inside. You should use what? You should use your inside voices. Ephesians 4 is telling us we don't just use our inside voices. We use our Jesus voices. We had to get to that guess. Otherwise, I couldn't say that. We need voices that lift each other up like Jesus did, forgiving each other like Jesus did for us, not tearing us down. And this command, it's repeated all over Scripture. Hebrews 3.13, like we read, encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And uh, Hebrews 10.25, like we read at the beginning, let us not give up meeting together, not isolated in a cubicle together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, this is so important to God. He not only expects us to encourage one another, he shows us how it is done. How does God show us how to encourage others? Pretty encouraging. Talks about encouragement all the time. You showed it. What else do we have that encourages us? Each other? Bible? Days like today? Days like Friday, too? Days that we can be together? Holy Spirit is there to encourage us as well. You know, the Greek word translated encourage in, in all these passages that we've listed is perikalio. It means to, um, if you literally draw it out, it's to come alongside. It means encouragement, but it means to be alongside with someone when they need it so that you can comfort them, so you can strengthen them. And, and what's interesting about this word for encouragement in the Gospel of John, Jesus made us a promise. He says in John 16, 7, I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor, that's the word parakletos, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. You know, Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit who lives in us once we become Christians. Acts 2.38 says that when we repent and are baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And every one of us who is a Christian has that gift. And the word Jesus uses to describe God's Spirit in the Gospel of John, parakletos. You know, it's describing someone who comes alongside to give you strength, to give you encouragement. Now, why does the Holy Spirit come alongside us? Well, because God gave us his spirit to comfort us, to encourage us. And that's one of the major roles of the Holy Spirit. And so God wants us to paracalio, to encourage each other. And so he sends us his spirit to teach us how to do it, to teach us how to come alongside one another. In other words, God not only believes we ought to encourage one another, he himself is committed to encouraging us as well. How else does God encourage us, not just through the Spirit, and we see that he places his Spirit inside of us to encourage us, and God's Spirit encourages us, excuse me, encourages us by reminding us that as Christians, we belong, right? How does the Spirit teach us that we belong to God? A couple weeks ago, we talked about 
what our brand is as Christians, that it's not the little sprout on the screen, it's something deeper than that. What is our brand as Christians? What's our mark? Cattle are branded, they have a mark on them. Everyone knows who they belong to. And our mark is the Spirit. He's branded into us with a brand, like with cattle. Ephesians 1, 13, it says, And you were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. You know, the Spirit marks you. The Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing who you belong to. The Spirit of God essentially says, you belong when we receive the gift of the Spirit. You are God's child. You are valuable to him. And not only that, God's Spirit reminds us that we aren't alone. I think I skipped forward a little bit. We aren't alone in this world. How does the Spirit teach us we aren't alone in this world? Where is he? He, He's inside us. He's dwelling within us. Romans 8, 26 says he won't leave us or forsake us. The Spirit, it says, Paul writes in Romans 8, 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. And then, just a couple verses later, God says, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, how does it finish? Who can be against us? Romans 8.31. God's Spirit is inside of us. He, He marks us to show us we belong, but he also is there to help us with our weakness, to make sure that we know we are never alone. For example, we don't always know how to pray as we should. So the Spirit's willing to step in and help us in our prayers even uh, when we don't know the words we ought to say. The the thoughts and the emotions and the intentions of our hearts are directly communicated through the Spirit to the throne of God. We're not alone there. And God's Spirit is inside of us. He's helping us. He's interceding for us. And so God gives us His Spirit to encourage us. And that Spirit encourages us by reminding us that we belong and that we're not alone. But that's not all, and I think we uh, briefly mentioned another way that God's Spirit encourages us. It shows us that we're marked, we belong to God, He's a deposit of who we belong to. He's there with us in the process, uh, interceding for us. How else can the Spirit encourage us? Never lose hope. hope. What gives us our hope? You can use others. Bible. We never lose hope because we have a book of hope. We have something telling us exactly what we can know will get us through any hard time. Romans 15.4 tells us everything was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. God gave me the Bible to encourage me. How is that possible? And the Bible is a book of things I'm supposed to do, that I'm not enough and I need to do more in order to be pleasing to God, right? It's an instruction manual for how we're supposed to act. So how can that be encouraging? I put together a lot of Ikea furniture over the summer. (laughs) 
And they try to be fun, right? They're, they're the fun furniture company. And so in all their instruction manuals, they have these little motivational sayings throughout. Like, keep going, and you're almost there, uh, and this chair is going to look great when you're done. And that's when I start scratching my head because I'm putting together a table, and <laughs> it, it's, it's not working. But, but they, they, they inject all this encouragement into an instruction manual, and the Bible is kind of like that. It's an instruction manual, but it is filled with encouragement. One man put it this way. He says, why shouldn't I say I can't and the Bible says I can. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, Philippians 4.13. Why should I accept being defeated in life when the Bible says that God always leads me in triumph, 2 Corinthians 2.14? Why should I feel like I'm ignorant or uneducated when God promises to generously give me his wisdom when I ask for it in James 1.5? Why should I worry and fret when I cast all my anxiety on Christ who cares for me, for me? 1 Peter 5.7? Why should I feel alone when God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you in Hebrews 13.5. Why should I surrender to Satan when he that is in me is greater than he, the he that is in the world in 1 John 4.4? 4. Why should I fear deprivation and loss when I know that God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus according to Philippians 4.19? Why should I fear at all when the Bible says God has not given me a spirit of fear but a power and love and sound mind in 2 Timothy 1.7? Why should I be afraid of difficult people and circumstances when the Bible declares, if God is for us, who can be against us? Here in Romans 8.31, and who shall separate us from the love of Christ in verse 35? And in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us in verse 37. And the list could go on and on and on. God demonstrated what encouragement looks like. And he wants his church to learn from that example. And he wants us to maintain this family here in Greenfield by encouraging and loving and serving and teaching one another. But why do we need so much encouragement? Uh, clearly, God thinks this is important. God made this uh, a focus of, of how he relates to us, and he, he made it a focus of how we're supposed to relate to others. But why do we need so much encouragement? Can't we just figure this out on our own? Can't we just go into our cubicle in a big auditorium and commune with God by ourselves and that be enough. Why do we need so much encouragement? Where in the world? We have an adversary. Easier to pick you off one at a time. So not only do we have an adversary, I was once that adversary. I came to Jesus as damaged goods. And the only way I can come to Jesus is understanding that and agreeing that I am a sinner and that my guilt and my shame are so overwhelm me that I'm willing to give up every bit of control I have over my life and hand it over to God. And when we come to Christ, we are damaged goods. That's why we're here. I don't need to be torn down anymore. Because once I realize that, once I'm willing to give my life over to Christ, I'm like Paul, and I'm saying, what a wretched man that I am. I already know how low I've gotten. I need to be built up in Christ, not torn down. And over the years, many Christians have failed to understand that. Many Christians have felt it was their God-given gift to point out the, the faults and the, the failures of others. You ever know someone like that? That they seem to have the, the, the talent, the spiritual gift for criticism. One man told a preacher that. I just figured out I have one talent. And the preacher asked him, what's your talent? I've got the gift of criticism. 
And preacher thought about it for a moment, and he replied, you know, the Bible tells us about a guy who had just one talent, and what did he do with it? He buried it. <laughs> Maybe that's what you should do with yours. You know, there's no gift of criticism in the Bible. There, there are people who go out and, and call sin what it is. We need to do that. That's not what we're talking about here. There's no gift of criticism in the Bible. Fault-finding is not a Christian virtue. Criticism is not from God. Accusing others is not from God. Who is the accuser? Who has the gift of criticism? Satan. It's the gift from the evil one, because that's what he does, right? Revelation 12.10, it says, or John wrote, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers, Satan, who accuses them before our day and night has been hurled down. Satan is the greatest criticizer in the world. He is the greatest accuser in the world. And you know what happens to him? Jesus hurls him down. Satan is a great criticizer. He's a great fault finder. He's the one who just loves to remind you of all of your failures, and he loves to remind you of those. And when we're critical of other people, Carmen said it, uh, he's not here this morning, he said it great in class the other day, um, talking about lying. When we are liars, we are children of Satan, not children of God. And when we are criticizers, we're following in his pattern too. We're critical of other people when we don't say good things to or about them, when we don't uh, try to spur them on towards love and good deeds, then we're imitating the evil one. And another reason we need to encourage each other, Paul tells us, 1 Thessalonians 5, that the day of judgment is coming. He writes, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And when people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. with labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. You do not belong to the night or to darkness. And he says, since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. And so Paul writing to the Thessalonians to tell them judgment is coming. It's not coming on us because we are children of the day. But we need to live for Christ till that time comes. And then Paul writes, after this, what most of the world would say, that's a, a pretty discouraging passage, Paul. Why, why are you going to be such a downer? Why are you talking about all this judgment? Why are you talking about uh, a, a time coming when there will be some who are not saved? And why are you talking about this? But he says in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. This is part of encouragement. In other words, judgment is coming, and we shouldn't allow each other to stand all alone in a wicked world that's going to be destroyed. The sinfulness of the world can harden us, and the sinfulness of the world will try to drag us down, and we need to take that seriously. We need to encourage each other so we don't allow that to happen to those in this room. Encourage each other. And you know, God calls us to minister to each other by encouraging and building each other up. And our goal in this ministering to each other should be the same as God's. We need to encourage one another, but we need to encourage each other the same way God does. How did we say God encourages us? Three ways. How does the Spirit encourage us? First, we belong. Second, we are not alone. 
And third, Scripture. We, God reminds us we belong, we're not alone, and he reminds us that there are things he can tell us that we can live our lives with more hope, and those things are found in Scripture. And that's why in this church we need to make sure everyone realizes they belong here. It doesn't matter what they have or how they look or who they are, our objective is to reach out and make sure everyone knows they belong. That's what God did for us first. In this church we need to remind each other we are not alone from our prayers for each other's uh, physical and spiritual needs to serving one another to just encouraging one another and most importantly being there when we need each other. That's what we need to do. We need to show each other we're not alone. In this church, we need to remind each other that our ultimate encouragement isn't uh, from some words I'm going to say. You know, sometimes it's so hard when we think we need to go and we need to be encouragers. And it's so hard to find the words to say because there are some situations it's hard to find a, a, a ray of sunshine in that. There's not much encouragement in it. And sometimes you know, I, I feel like we don't go and encourage others because we don't know the words we should say. We've got to realize greatest encouragement is always going to come from Scripture. I don't need the words to say. Ultimate encouragement comes from God's Word and its commands and its promises. And it's not just those verses that we read uh, about God being in control and God uh, taking care of us. It's in all of Scripture that we can find encouragement. And the commands and the promises, we need to share those with each other when we're in need. We need to treat each other the same way God treats us. So, how do we maintain this kind of, let's see if I've got it, this family fellowship that we have? How do we maintain this kind of encouragement here practically? Keeping God as our focus. Absolutely. If we try to go off on, and there's lots of places that do it, that think of lots of different ways they can encourage other people. Some of those things are really great. But ultimately, the best thing we've got is the Bible, and that's what we should be focused on, focused on Christ. What else can we do practically to encourage others, to build this, this family fellowship that we have here? I think we have it. How do we maintain it? Fellowship. fellowship. Spending time with each other. What else? Absolutely. Sometimes a full calendar detracts from paying attention to one another. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We need to learn to be more open with each other. Sometimes we need to realize the best way we can serve one another isn't by bringing them a, a casserole or uh, mowing their lawn or something. It's just going and sitting on their couch and, and saying, we're ready to listen. We're ready to pray with you. Anything else? Well, I wrote up the bottom line. We have to work at this. I, I think that's the first step. You know, we have to work at fellowship. If this came naturally, if it was easy, Scripture wouldn't have commanded it so much. It wouldn't have said, work on this. So much. It wouldn't say that we have to grow in it so much. This is something that we have to be maturing in constantly. If we think we've got it, and this is one of the things um, in Paul's letters to the Thessalonians, he starts out saying, you have to let your love run over. You're loving each other a lot now, but you've got to let your love run over. 
And then the benefit of his letters to the Thessalonians, we get a second one. And what does he say in the second one? Keep loving each other. Keep letting that build up. They got it. They probably were doing it well, but they could keep growing in that love. That was something that they were always maturing in. And if we think that we love each other enough, we have to keep loving each other more. Yeah, a church in Florida understood this. So they established some rules. They had a 10-foot rule. If you came within 10 foot of another or a person from the time you got out of your car until the time you got back into your car, you have to smile, you have to make eye contact, and you have to say hello, no matter if you know them or not. They had a five-minute rule immediately following any uh, assembly. You know, use the five minutes to seek out someone you don't know, introduce yourself, and don't discuss business or rush into a meeting. Put first things first to be friendly. A second person rule at this church, nobody sits alone. Any visitor who enters our building should never sit by themselves. Move to where the newcomer is sitting. Ask to share the seat next to them. Introduce yourself. Uh, visit with them informally about the church or other topics. Nobody should ever stand alone in the lobby either. If you notice someone who's alone, take advantage of that opportunity. And, and those are just examples. Those aren't hard and fast rules. But it shows this is something we work at. This is something that, that we have to keep at the front of our mind. I think we're doing a pretty good job here, especially when we are together. When we get together, we know what this fellowship looks like. But Sunday worship is just the beginning of what this means. Wednesday Bible study is just the beginning of what this means. Fall parties on Friday nights are just the beginning of what this means. Notice uh, Hebrews 3.13, it talks about encouragement, right? What does it say? Encourage one another when we meet on Sundays and Wednesdays and at the fall party on Friday nights and when there's a CPR training on Thursday nights, right? That's what he's saying. Well, what about Monday, Tuesday? No, encourage one another daily so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Good one anothering, as we put it, needs more than just an hour of contact each Sunday or even, you know, we've got a busy schedule, more than that too. We need to spend time with each other throughout the week. Otherwise, you know, the deception of sin, we feel it. Wednesday nights, I think a lot of us feel it, right? Especially if we can't get to Wednesday nights. We have to go all the way to Sunday. That's a long time to go without being with other Christians. It starts to eat away at us, and we feel it then because it's such a long time, but it's happening to us every day. The deception of sin uh, is eating at us every minute that we're away from other Christians and we need to be finding ways to get back together. And what I want to leave you with the service thinking is you should not be content with your walk with Christ if your fellowship is limited to what we do in the, how many, do we have an acre here? Five acres? I don't. Okay, well, you're doing a good job if you're going out there for fellowship. <laughs> You should not be content in your walk with Christ if your fellowship is limited to this building. If what we're doing, if our faith is what we do here together, that's not enough. You should not be satisfied with your Christianity if it is uh, contained by a building. It's great when we get together. It's especially great when we get together to worship our God, to get together and, and sing songs of praise and to edify one another. Those things are great. But if we're going to tell others, and if God calls us a family, families don't get together twice a week for an hour to sit in a pew facing forward listening to someone speak and maybe sing a few songs. That's not a family. We can't encourage and edify one another 
just on Sundays and Wednesdays and maybe a few times out of the week. We have to encourage one another daily. Maybe that's just a small thing. Maybe that's just a phone call. Maybe that's just a, a text or, or just a prayer, maybe. But it's thinking about our faith outside of when we're here together. You know, there's a story from a, a vacation Bible school. A little uh, new boy was, was brought into the room to join the class, and, and the teacher um, had a, a plan. She was already starting to sing a song, but she noticed that the little boy he only had one hand, and um, she was afraid because she was about to sing um, I don't know the song very well, but the, let's build our churches, right? Where you, you build the churches with your hands. Uh, and she realized she already was going forward with it, and the boy walks in, and she realized this wasn't going to be good. This, uh, this was going um, to potentially embarrass him. And so she said, put your hands together. Here's the, the steeple. There's a, a moment of awkward silence. And then the little girl seated next to the boy uh, held her hand up and said, let's build the church together. I know, that was sweet. We can't do this alone, and we can't do it only here in this building. We're a church, we're a family all the time. We have to be encouraging one another daily. Christ built a church where we could serve together and we could focus on one another and how we can bring each other closer to God. And that's a task that takes a lot of effort. It's not just going to um, happen naturally. We have to work at it. But that's why we have a family here. So. If you're struggling this evening, you need our encouragement. That is, as the Bible puts it over and over, why we are here. We are here to encourage you, to build you up, um, to spur you on towards love and good deeds. And if there is any way that we can do that this evening, we ask you to come forward as we stand and as we sing.